coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. They put me on these blood thinners, so more blood would go in there. And over the course of seven months, my heart regenerated enough for me to get the bypass. And I got the bypass a month ago. I got it a month ago. I caught an 18-inch wiper two weeks after open-heart surgery. <laughs> and uh, they, I was doing good. Uh, it was the weirdest thing, though, like having tubes coming out of me. And, but I feel great. I didn't realize how crappy I felt before. That was Joe Jackson with an amazing story about surviving a heart attack at a very young age. Deer hair, the VA, mushrooms, and more today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. I wanted to give a, a quick shout out to a uh, upcoming little series we have going. Uh, this year, we are bringing Phil Roy on to dig into some stillwater tips and tricks and do, and he's going to cover what he does best. This is going to be a, a unique spin, something we haven't done before, so I'm excited to share this one out next year. And uh, stay tuned for that. So if you're a stillwater person or interested in hearing from one of the best uh, out there and, uh, and hear some of his unique uh, content, stay tuned for that. Today's episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, putting together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that trip of a lifetime. These are not your lodge-style trips. These are not your uh, car-style trips. This is remote, floating in, uh, flying in at times, floating in down Alaska in the middle of nowhere, mousing for rainbows, camping out under the stars of the Alaskan sky. This is good stuff. We did a trip earlier this year, and it was amazing. You can check out these trips right now from Fishhound, wetflyswing.com slash fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, one of North America's most renowned zones for fly fishing. From the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the alpine lakes in between, Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts all the information they need to plan their trip. Visit wetflyswing.com Teton right now to get a full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all the inspiration you need to get started on your next Eastern Idaho trip. That's wetflyswing.com slash Teton, T-E-T-O-N. Joe Jackson, a.k.a. Sergeant Bass Fisher, takes us on a wild ride through his journey around fly tying and fly fishing. We hear about how he found himself connecting with some of the greatest fly anglers and tires around the country not long after he uh, really got started fly tying. We, uh, we hear about what these bird flies and some of these unique deer hair flies are all about and how this kind of gave him some recognition out there. And, uh, and we also hear how he turned his, um, his small suburban uh, house into a farmer's dream. We dig into that. This is really cool to hear what he has going with his family and kids there. So, so let's jump into it. We got, some, uh, we got an amazing story ahead for you today. So without further ado, here we go. Joe Jackson. How's it going, Joe? Oh, not too bad. How are you this morning? Oh, man, good. Good to, you know, get you on the podcast here. And uh, we're going to dig into some of your background. You've got a cool, interesting fly tying background story there. And uh, you've got uh, some cool stories. We're going to talk about some of these today around fly fishing and tying and uh, and how you tie these really unique fly patterns uh, with deer hair. So that's something that you've done in the past. Before we jump into everything there, bring us back real quick to fly fishing. Talk about how you kind of first got into fly fishing. Um, well, I think it was 2000. 15 or 16 and uh i got voluntold i needed to go to the va for psychiatric evaluation 
uh, which kind of kind of ticked me off. But uh, I went in and in the elevator, there was a flyer for Project Healing Waters. And I've, I've fished since I was like four years old. And uh, so I snapped a photo of it. I was like, heck yeah, veterans and fishing. I can do that. At the time, I thought fly fishing was kind of sissy. Yep. But I was like, you know, it'll be fun. And uh, as I got into it, I just I sold all my bait casters and kept a few spinning rods. But I pretty much just immediately was like, this is awesome. A little bluegill felt like a whale on a, a little fly rod. Yeah. And then uh, I got into the tie-in. Uh, through the Indianapolis program or shortly thereafter and uh, tied a woolly bugger at the whole group. And, and then I got into deer hair. <laughs> then you got into deer hair. Yeah. It, it just, uh, it was a fun, I, I'm a bass guy cause I live in central Indiana and um, I just wanted to fish with, you know, top water and then the foam just felt too easy. I felt like I got too good at it real quick. And uh, I just wanted a challenge. And as I got into deer hair, packing it and, cutting a thread and having an explode in my face really ticked me off and, uh, felt pretty good to be ticked off at something that was inanimate. <laughs> right. And then I got obsessed with it. And after about three months of doing that, my friend Marty James here in Indiana was like, Hey, you're, you're pretty good at that. And he gave me a couple Pat Cohen DVDs and it was over. And mm. uh, yeah, Pat's awesome. And, uh, I mean, it like for real, like Pat without Pat, teaching everybody I wouldn't have been doing any of this stuff because his technique was so good and I've sort of evolved away from his technique a little bit and do my own thing but uh it was definitely my foundation and I put a hook underneath my thumb one day packing hair with a little brassy oh and then my wife's like you need to go buy one of them big green packers yeah and I was like no they're like 30 bucks no way I'm spending that kind of money <laughs> on the tool and I went and did it anyway and then uh like the very first fly with that packer, I was like, holy crap, this is so freaking tight. And the, but the packer just made the difference. And yep. pretty much seven months later, I picked up my first sponsor and I tied it to symposium and I've been doing the shows ever since. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, you've been doing the show, sir. And we'll talk a little more about that. And you're talking about, uh, so this is, yeah, Pat Cohen. He was on the podcast, his fugly packer, right? Yeah. It's right here in front of me. Yeah. The fugly packer. That's awesome. And that too, and I think we'll we'll talk about that as well because I want to dig into some on the deer hair today. I wanted to go back. You you mentioned the uh, the vol and told uh, to you know to the project or to get you know some help or whatever. Bring mm -hmm. us back to a little bit just because a lot of some of the stuff we talk about today, you know, I think it's going to be help to clarify a little bit of your background. So talk about that. How I know there's a couple stories there, but how did you get to be where you were voluntold to do something here? And, and, give, and tell us a little about your, your experience. You were in um, one of the wars, right, that was going on? Yeah, I, w I went to Afghanistan and Iraq, and um, I uh, got forced out like six years before I could retire because uh, I hurt my neck and back. And then uh, I wasn't very good at being a civilian. I was really quite naive to uh, drug usage and, uh, you know, started dating girls as a civilian. And then like, I've just found out one after another, they're all strung out and I'm like, what? I can't deal with that. Oh, and then, uh, damn. I kept getting factory jobs and I'd go, I climbed the ladder really quick to make like a manager or a team leader. And then for the same exact qualities that I would get pushed up the ladder, I'd get fired for, uh, because I just demanded excellence. Hmm. 
I just feel like you should be do the absolute best you can and try to outperform everybody around you. And it, it's just sort of ingrained in me being an infantry guy. And then my dad was in, in the infantry for 33 years. And so I grew up with that. Wow. I got in trouble. I was doing pushups, you know? And then, uh, I just sort of had, I like a mental breakdown, I guess. And, um, got in trouble and they're like, look, you can, uh, I can either press charges on you or you can, uh, go to the VA for treatment and they got it set up for me. And, uh, it was just really rapid after that. Yeah. So you just rolled in and, and was it, uh, project healing waters? Was that part of the, uh, the process that helped you kind of climb out of that place you were at? Yeah. The, I'm a, you know, I still go to like, uh, talk to a therapist once a month, but it was three times a week then. And, uh, once I got, I think it was three or four months in the project healing waters. My therapist was like, you know, you can, you can cut back and you don't need to come in here. She's, she said, I pretty much found my, my therapy. Oh, wow. And it's pretty cool. Cause all my therapists, they want to talk about project healing waters a lot. And I'm like always leaving them cards to give to other veterans and, uh, you know, fly fishing is not for everyone. And so, you know, there's other veteran programs I'm with that I'm always campaigning for as well yeah that are pretty great but you know i focus on the fly fishing that's right yeah because there are quite a few you know project healing waters is probably the biggest Mm -hmm. but there are a number of different ones uh i've talked to a few of them around the country right i mean i don't know do you you have a connection to some of those other fly fishing uh, groups for veterans um the the veteran service program in pennsylvania i've went out there and uh, hung out with them a lot. Bill Nolan used to run it. I don't know who's running it now, but they're great. They, um, actually had me out for my birthday like three years ago. And then they paid for my license with all the stamps in Pennsylvania for the whole year. And, uh, I hung out with their veterans and then they had Joe Humphreys and Tom Hur out for my birthday. And we all just hung out and fished. It was, it was insane. We were tying flies together on this hill and, you know, Joe's sitting there and, a t-shirt, some pants, some blue jeans and uh fleece lined Crocs. And <laughs> he was watching these four veterans not catch any fish in this pool. And he's like, Joe, you got any hair's ear, a little size 14 scud hook and some grizzly hackle. I'm like, yeah. He's like, tie me up six and cut the hackle all the way down. And I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you say, boss. You're the boss. <laughs> so yeah. I, I tied up like four of them and then he went down there and he, in his in his blue jeans and fleece line crocs, just walked down in there in Spring Creek, you know, forty degree water, and took a rod from him, tied it on, and he just started nymphing like he does and catching fish, showing him how to do it. It took him three minutes to catch a fish after these guys were fishing it. You know, they're they're all new. And he just he saw a problem. He's like, I'm gonna go fix it. I'm gonna show him how to catch a fish. Which is what he did to me when he taught me how to nymph. <laughs> he grabbed grabbed my arm, was like, and I was like, Don't do that. He's like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I've been so lucky in the, in the fly fishing and with project healing waters, healing waters has pushed me out there and everybody's like, how'd you get so good at tying so fast or fly fishing so fast? I was like, well, I just have all these great tutors that uh, I just meet along and I, I, I know when to be quiet and listen to an old timer that's been doing it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think it's a problem with, with my generation, really the, the younger guys that's coming up into it, they we're watching all the YouTube videos from guys. that's our age. And, it, and then it's knowledge going back and forth. And then, uh, you got the older guys, like I'm not Tim Camisa is not old, but Oh yeah. 
you know, and then Tim Flagler, but you know, they, they have what they got going on and, and it's good stuff, but a lot of people aren't watching it, uh, that I come across, uh, particularly the younger streamer guys. But, uh, and that, I was thinking about writing an article about, uh, how my generation needs to just go join a fly club and hang out with the older dudes. Cause it's a wealth of knowledge that we're missing out on. Yep. God, that's a great point. And it'll be gone soon. All that knowledge yeah. will be gone soon, unfortunately. And, um, and I advocate for joining a local fly club. I, I joined the Indianapolis Flycasters about a year after I started. And, um, which Marty James, the guy that gave me the DVD, he's a project healing waters volunteer, but, uh, I might've got that DVD a few months earlier had I joined the fly club. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. That is, you know, so those are all great points. I mean, Joe Humphreys, you know, we had a lot a while back and I love that story about him grabbing your RV because that was the, he mentioned <laughs> that, uh, George Daniel mentioned that when he was on, he said, you know, George would, or Joe would whack him in the head when he was teaching him or something like that. He'd be like, you're doing it wrong, you know, but that was just his old, right? That was the style. He's an old guy and that was yeah. back in the day, you know, but now it's so different. And, and I love what you say about, you know, we're losing that, right? So you're saying people out there, the younger kids are just kind of, they're doing their own thing, which is great. They're creating, right? They're doing stuff, but they're also yeah. missing out some of that cool tradition and some of that stuff that still works, right? We're losing some of that. Yeah. I mean, like just a random place, you know, like West Virginia, there's probably an old timer there that fishes and uh, he's in a fly club. We don't talk to too many people because nobody wants to listen. You know, when he's gone, he might have, he might just have that fly that works. Uh, or that technique for, for fishing a particular part of a stream that, you know, is going to be lost. And uh, it concerns me and it bugs me. I know I haven't been doing this very long, but uh, I just lost my mentor, Al Fish. And uh, he was like 93, I think, 91. But he, uh, like, as I got started, he he ties it so bug roundup every year. And um, he knew all these people in the industry. And without me knowing it, he was emailing and writing people letters saying, Hey, you should check out this guy. That's how I got on Jay Stockard. Oh yeah. And, and he just kept nominating me for stuff. And that's how I got in the SoBug roundup because they, uh, they denied me when I applied to tie there the first time. And then Al was like, I can't go. I'm nominating Joe. I, he's the only person I want. And they're like, well, we'll give him a four hour block to tie. And then I posted on their fly tying group and they're like, Everybody got all fired up. I was going to be there. And they're like, you know what? You can tie the whole time if you want. And then I, my Bert, my art flies like intrigued so many people and the weird stuff I'm doing that they're like, you know what? You can be a featured tire and do a class if you want. Oh, wow. <laughs> that all happened a week before Sobuck. <laughs> so I've been really lucky, you know? Yeah. What, what now? And what event is that? This is one of the fly tying symposia. Yeah, it's an educational event down in Arkansas, Mountain Home. They do it in March, and uh, it's uh, it's a lot different. It's not about making money. Um, they generate income for uh, their fly club, and then they donate a lot of it to um, kids in Arkansas who are trying to go to college for something to do with natural resources. Oh, cool. It's neat, and... Uh, uh, it's a neat show because you tie in four hour blocks. You can sit wherever you want and there's just tires everywhere. So, you know, I sat across from Dave Whitlock last time. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, my whole wall is covered in his paintings now. No kidding. 
What was that like when you had at the Dave Whitlock? And were there actually people coming in, just normal uh, consumers coming in? And, or was it just a tying tire expo? It was a tire expo. And there, there wasn't, I didn't see any, any too many people rolling through that wasn't, you know, already in the fly fishing industry or tires. And then um, another show I haven't done is Branson. And that's, that's one that everybody keeps telling me I should do because it's an artsy town and uh, like people just go in there to buy art. Oh, really? And so I was like, you know, I could probably get into that. And this is Branson. Remind me again for those outside of the area. Branson, Missouri. Okay. It's a weird show because it's in the summer. I think it's in July. But my, my schedule just never lined up with it. I might do it one day, but I just, at this point, I travel so much. It has to be lucrative enough for me to, you know, at least pay for my hotel and drive. Right. Yeah. Because you're on the circuit and you have, uh, when you mentioned the art flies and some of the stuff you have going, which, um, I mean, maybe we can go into that a little bit because this is a interesting topic. I mean, so you got into the project healing waters. When did, when did you start tying some of these, maybe talk about some of the stuff you, that you would, people might say is different or, you know, kind of weird, like the bird flies and stuff. And when did that start? And then are you still doing a little bit of that? Um, I haven't done it you know, since I uh, got sick earlier last year, but we'll hit that later. Yeah. Um, but when I f- first did an art fly, um, my daughter was like maybe she was three or four. Let's see. She's about to be. Yeah. So she was three. We we're sitting on the back porch of our apartment and there was a hummingbird and she pointed up to it and was like, tie a bee. She wanted me to make her a bee. <laughs> and it was a hummingbird. So I just was like, okay, that's easy enough. And I just sat down and made one uh, and I tried to make it realistic. I didn't know that was a style of tying and that people like did that stuff. But uh, I took a toothpick and painted it black and then shoved it in its face after I did a little weird bomber shape. And, and I just, you know, I didn't tie the feathers in. I just glued them in oh, and yeah. then, uh, and then I didn't think nothing of it. And then uh, I got told that I placed in the top five in the nation in the Project Healing Waters tying contest. Wow. And that I was tying at the Fly Tying Symposium. And I was like, cool. And I actually thought it was a, I thought it was one of my buddies prank calling me and I hung up on him. <laughs> and then they called me back. It was, it was Duke Davis. He's like, don't do that again. <laughs> and so uh, I, I went there and I had a, they told me to bring some display flies, you know, to display what I do. And so, took a bunch of hair bugs and poppers and a few streamers. And then I took that little bird and it was sitting out front. I was sitting next to Sun Tao. Oh yeah. And uh, he's the one that beat me. Oh wow. So I took second to Sun. I, I, I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> and um, I, I got out there early and, and Bob Clouser and Joan Clouser uh, walked past and Joan's like, I want that. I was like, that's my daughter's man. And I didn't even know who they really were. <laughs> Son said they were important. <laughs> and so I was like, I can make you one of those, ma'am. I'll make it this evening. So I made it. I made her the second hummingbird ever. And then it was, it was really cool. The next day you know, I was wearing like, I had this like high fade and a beard and tattoos all over me. And I was waiting in line at Clouser's booth to give her this flower or this hummingbird. And then, you know, she was in a wheelchair and she stood up and pointed at me to come forward. And there's this line of people and they just parted like the Red Sea and was like, who is this punk? Oh, wow. And I walked up and gave it to her and uh, they wanted a picture with me. It was really, really cool. But that's like my second hummingbird. And then that Sunday, the next day, 
I was tying out in the uh, lobby and Joe Humphreys walked past and looked at my stuff. He's like, did you tie all these? I was like, yes, sir. And I know who he was. Cause I made a note to learn everybody, you know, who they were because I was embarrassed about not knowing who freaking Bob Clouser was. <laughs> and then, um, Joe sat down with me and like was talking to me and his daughter Dolores is like, dad, we're late. He's like, I'm 90 years old. They'll wait a little longer. <laughs> and then he asked me if I'd make him one. And, and then Denny stayed there and chatted with me while he was doing his casting instruction class, um, which I was going to go to, but he asked me to tie a hummingbird for him. And I was like, I better do this. Right. Then he, I think he's got one of every bird I've ever tied. He collects my birds. <laughs> it's pretty neat. No kidding. It's really, really cool having access to these, you know, legendary dudes um, like uh, Dave Whitlock and Emily. They have one of my hummingbirds, one of my cardinals. And when I met them, I was at Sobug Roundup and Emily came over to my booth and was like, hey, Joe, Dave wants to talk to you. And I was tying an Arkansas Razorback. Like from, I've never tied one before. Someone challenged me. The dudes from Wapsie challenged me. So I was tying one and I had this crowd of people watching me. And I was like, guys, I got to I got to take a break. I don't want to, I got to go over there right now. I can't wait. Yeah. And I, I just sit down right between them. Like she told me to. And Dave's like, I got to take a break. Cause I've been wanting to chat with this young man about deer hair. And then he commenced telling me how wrong I'm doing. It was great. Oh, really? He's like, the color, he's like, your colors are too packed on your divers. You'll, the fish are going to just knock it out of the water. And I was like, no, I was like, I got this crazy huge hook gap that you didn't have with those old must heads you were using. And we were just bantering back and forth. And it was, you know, it was one of the highlights of everything I've done is arguing about how both of our ways are right. And they're both right. Yeah. I couldn't tie my style on his hooks and then his style wouldn't float as well on these heavier hooks that I'm using. So. Oh, right, right, right. What are you, do you use, uh, what, what are the hooks you use typically for that sort of fly? Uh, I'm using, I, I only use partridge, but, uh, I'm using a, was it CS 86? Yeah. Okay. Universal Predator X. I like uh, I like the heavier hooks because when I tie a diver um, or a popper, I don't know. I know I'm going to be using it for largemouth or smallmouth, but I don't know if I'm going to end up, you know, trying to chase redfish or jacks with it. Mm. So I don't want to tie on a light wire hook that yep. might get broken home. Right. You know, we were catching see, a few years ago. I was catching bonnet head sharks down in the Florida Keys on a diver that I tied for. Oh wow! For bass, you know, and I, I have a. Generally for largemouth, I'm tying four out and above for, because I don't really don't want to catch the little ones. I love them, but I'd rather just chase those four plus pounders all the time. Right. Right. Gosh. So, yeah. so those flies, so yeah, you're just using the, you're just packing deer hair, using the fugly packer and you're just kind of, uh, I mean, what's that look like on your style? Is that kind of, if you look to some of, uh, Pat Cohen's stuff, like you said, you're similar to him, but you've tweaked it. How, how is it different from what he, you know, what he teaches? Um, well, he, he does more round of a belly. I'm cutting the the belly as close as I can. And he, he puts just about the same amount of hair on the belly as he does the top to keep it balanced. And then, uh, I just barely put any on the belly. I try to make it a little wider and taller, uh, just so it ag agitates the water mm. more, but, uh, I'm putting solar res on the belly, so I don't have to worry about it coming apart. Yep. And, um, I don't know. I haven't tied deer hair in such a long time because of my heart issues that, uh, I'm rusty. Right. <laughs> I tied a bomber yesterday and I was like, man, I stink. This is a basic fly, a bomber. And I 
spinning hair and it, it looked it looked like I'm a first year guy. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Zag.fish, who was founded with the idea of finding ethical solutions to fly tying products and services. They've done just that by creating jobs for marginalized people, both in the U.S. and abroad. They've got uh, everything covered. We've had a recent episode on with uh, John Grosta, who talked about uh, some of the great products they have with the, the fishing he does in Florida uh, with the Fairflies brushes. They've got the 5D brushes and their uh, fly fur, which is pretty amazing. Tons of people are loving this stuff for its durability and the speed that allows you to tie flies. John talked about that on the podcast uh, and he said that just uh, basically it's going to add on at least 15 to 20 minutes to uh, each fly you tie if you're not using these brushes. Zag also has uh, Wasatch custom angling tools in their satchel with over 50 uh, custom heirloom tools that go along with your materials. So they are a true do-it-yourself company and you got to check out zag.fish right now. If you want to, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash zag and you can get 20% off your first order by clicking through that link and uh, let them know you heard uh, of them through this podcast and you'll get that 20% discount right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash zag, Z-A-G. Okay, back to the show. You know, we don't have to dig too deep into this, but I think this might shed some light on where you're at too. But uh, so you had a heart attack here in the last uh, year. Uh, take us there a little bit. Tell that story. So um, I was at the the Edison show, uh, Ben from Miski's show in uh, Edison, New Jersey. And uh, the show was over. It was a great show. Um, there was some crap weather but like we had a great turnout considering you know post-covid and well still COVID a little bit and uh and uh, the show was over i was tying flies for my friend from kenya for tiger fish i was tying like eight hair bugs they're like 12 inches long in the lobby of a five-star marriott and just destroying the place and they're like that's fine that's fine i was like i'll vacuum it up <laughs> the ladies are like no that's fine you got people watching you so yeah you know, Thomas Boltz was out there watching me, my friend Omron, my friend Randy, and there was a group of us and, and my chest just started hurting. This is like 11 o'clock at night. We're drinking rum and scotch, uh, which apparently helped me out. Oh. I go outside. I'm, you know, I'm a dumb infantry guy. I didn't know what was happening to me. I told Omron to take over tying that fly for me. And, uh, I went outside and there was a blizzard going on. It dropped like seven inches of snow overnight. Oh, wow. I'm just standing out front of this Marriott and I just start beating the crap out of my chest, like a, a dumb gorilla. <laughs> and then, uh, like my whole chest was purple and blue the next day. Wow. But it, it made the pain go away. I didn't know what was happening. I know. I just know my chest started hurting really bad. And then I had this crazy impending doom and I didn't know what to do. So I just beat the crap out of my chest huh. and then it went away. And, uh, I went back to tying flies and drinking scotch. And then uh, we all went to bed and we drove 12 hours home back to Indiana. And then uh, when I got home and settled in, I ha it happened again and went to the ER and said it was nothing. And then I go to the ER seven days later, they said it's nothing. And then I go to the VA and they're like, you're having heart attacks. Huh? Your LED is 100% clogged. And um, other than that, I was 100% physically fit. They They looked in my arteries and all did all these tests and there was like no cholesterol buildup huh. or plaque and 
they found that it was just a, a fluke thrombus inside my LAD artery. It was 100% clogged. They, they, they had no idea how I was still walking around and driving wow. everywhere. Um, so that was, I had four heart attacks total. Four. And then once they, they figured it out what it was, I had all these little vessels on my heart uh, called collateral vessels. And it's uh, whenever your heart starved for oxygen, it'll start creating these little vessels. And I guess I'm such a hard charger is what the doctor said that I, uh, I just have these little vessels all over. They don't pump blood in the heart, but it allows blood to seep in it. And, uh, that's what kept me alive the whole time. And once my doctors at the VA in Indianapolis figured that out, they put me on two types of blood thinners to make it easier. So my heart, cause there was so much damage in there that I couldn't get a bypass and they, they put me on these blood thinners. So more blood would go in there. And over the course of seven months, my heart regenerated enough for me to get the bypass. And I got the bypass. Oh, wow. A month, a month ago. I got it a month ago. Holy cow. I caught a 18 inch wiper two weeks after open heart surgery. Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, they, I was doing good. Uh, it was the weirdest thing though. Like having tubes coming out of me and, but I feel great. I didn't, I didn't realize how crappy I felt before. Yeah. Cause I was couch ridden. You know, I had to admit to my boys when we were out digging a hole in the yard for some reason, I was like, guys, you know, and they're, they're all under 15. I was like, guys, you're stronger than me right now. So you have to dig this hole. I can't do it. Huh? But you wouldn't believe how much pep it put in their step when I admitted that they're just stronger than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Wow. The worst part about it is I'm, I'm not allowed to fly fish till like January. Oh, shoot. And I just started tying again a few days ago. Tying some flies for my buddy, Josh Franklin. He's a, he does portraits and he, uh, he like sketch, he's a sketch artist. He sketched a, a portrait of me holding a carp I caught. And then he sketched one of my daughter. So I'm tying a big horde of flies, um, for him. I actually missed my deadline. He's, he's in Montana right now. <laughs> so I'll have to give him to him when he gets back. And then there you go. this morning, right now I'm tying, uh, some intruder flies. So my, my lead surgeon, uh, fun little story. Her mentor, who's now retired, uh, retired heart surgeon. All he does is fly fish, spay in uh, Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. So I'm tying some intruder flies and some Dalai Lamas. The Dalai Lamas are a really good fly to get back into when I'm right. You know, worrying about thread control and technique with uh, having my sternum completely cut in half. You know, my chest is weak and it's weird. But it's it's a really good fly. I probably won't be able to do deer hair properly for another week. Gotcha. I can't wait to get back at it though. Oh man. Wow. So you're Jones in that at getting back into the deer hair. Besides a bomber I tied yesterday, I think the last time I tied a deer hair fly was at so bugging in March. Uh-huh. And that was right after all my heart attack things started happening. And then uh, uh as that progressed, I just kept getting weaker and weaker to where I could like I could get up and I could go sit on my couch. Right. And, wow. I've never been a big video game guy, but I sit there and just played video games and watch YouTube till my brain was fried. It felt like. God. Yeah. This whole story is obviously your whole story is, is pretty crazy here. I, you know, some of it's hard to, you know, to comprehend. Right. But I, and I don't want to dig deep into the, the hospital stuff and all that, but I do know it's a good reminder for everybody that, uh, you know, getting a second opinion, you know, my, my daughter had a similar thing. She fell off um, when she was, gosh, this was three years, you know, she was probably like seven, fell off mm -hmm. of the, out in the backyard and, and her head hit the concrete 
and uh, and we took her to the hospital, and they're like, oh yeah, nothing, you know, no, we don't see anything, you know, nothing, you know, and they did X-rays and everything, and uh, and we got a second opinion, and you know, went into the bigger city, and they're like, yep, there's a there's a fracture on her cranium. Oh no! You know what I mean? So she's totally fine now, and uh, and everything. She's great. She's amazing. But it was just a reminder, like, wow. I mean, you know, it's like, damn. So you just like, you know, they missed it, right? They missed it. If we wouldn't have followed up, you never know. But again, it's that reminder, I think. And it sounds like the same thing for you that, you know, literally you guys, you were having multiple heart attacks and they, they missed that. And the VA, they're, 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 again, is the power of actually having, right, second opinion, having a powerful yeah. people that know their stuff. Yeah. And it just, it really just saved, my, the VA saved my life. And a lot, a lot of people just, uh, you know, brush the VA, VA off as like a second class citizen, mm. but, but, uh, they were, they really, it was world-class. They were sending me out to other hospitals to, uh, you know, get echoes and I got a cath done and, oh man, I had, I was like a test subject. It seemed like uh, for a while I was like, are they trying to make me better? Or are they studying me because I'm still alive? <laughs> right. At the same time, you know, the first hospital that, you know, in their defense, I'm, I'm a fairly muscular fit dude and, uh, you know, coming in there looking like crap at one in the morning, I probably didn't probably look suspicious, I suppose, but, uh, but I'm on the mend. I'm feeling great. My, I, I don't have to go to the VA anymore. Oh, nice. Uh, they wanted me to come in every two weeks for, you know, checkups with my surgeons and get, I, you know, I get x-rays done and then blood work done. And last Wednesday, which will been a, it's a month now, the 27th of October was a month. And they, they're already like, you don't have to come back. They're like, we'll see you in a year. No kidding. They're like, you, you can fly fish whenever you think you're ready. And, uh, right now, you know, I fell down a little and had to, and caught myself the other day. And I think I recracked my sternum. Oh, so, you know, it's wired together. So it's not going to come apart, but we got to wait for that bone to completely fuse for, I can really use my upper body. Um, and one of my surgeons grew up in or Utah and he, he was telling me how he, uh, he grew up fly fishing out of a belly boat for cutthroats in these high mountain lakes. And, uh, it was pretty cool. He knew who I was and uh, he told the surgical team not to, not to mess up cause I was famous, which I thought was <laughs> funny. But... Yeah. Yeah. So you're coming back and we're circling around now. It's cool because I mean, the show season, which sounds like you're a big part of that, as that comes around, are you planning on attending a few of those shows as we head to the new year? Uh, I plan on, I'm, I've got a booth at the symposium in two weeks and um, I 100% plan on going, but uh, if I mess up my chest again, I won't be able to go because uh, I can't drive. If I mess my chest up, I can't drive at all. I can't do the oh, right. turning of the steering wheel and looking over my shoulder to check. It just wouldn't be safe. So no. Um, so as long as I don't hurt myself again, I'll be at the symposium. Um, and I, I have a big fly planned, uh, deer hair fly. I can't talk about, but it, it's, it's for someone at the symposium. I'm going to give away at the banquet. Oh, nice. Well, talk about that fly. So as you're making this thing and just when you pack, so do you have any videos out there? People can kind of watch what you do here. Um, I don't, I was in, I have one really crummy video I put on YouTube, but uh, I was in the, Right when all my heart stuff went down, I was right in the process of uh, getting into doing tutorials. And oh, I do wow. live videos. I do live feeds. I did live feeds all the time on my Instagram, but um, I was wanting to get into more of the production style tying of videos. And then uh, I was actually about to launch a YouTube channel 
for like educational part of fly fishing. Um, and I had a whole bunch of trips planned with guides. I think it was like 12 trips. I was going to go on for free, like three day guided trips so we can film and actually teach people. And there's not much of it online, but I want to like teach people how to read water and how different guides prepare for a guided trip or fish in new water. And my, my template was going to be, we're going to be having breakfast or dinner the night before. And we're going to film the planning process with a map. And then we're going to go into the day of fishing, three days of fishing. And, you know, right at the beginning of the video, let everybody know what our plan is, what our secondary plan is and see if they work. And then how we adapt if our plan isn't working and why we're using the flies, how we're using them, how we're reading the water for each you know, species of fish because a brown trout's different in every stream. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that kind of got a, had to be a uh, canceled once I had to sit on my couch for seven months. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. So that's still out there. So maybe we'll have some of that in, in the future, right. As you get back into this, maybe we'll dig. And I guess people can probably just go look at a Pat Cohen. We had him on the podcast a while back and we can put a link out to some of his stuff because yeah, I mean, obviously you learn from him. You, your stuff is a little bit different now, but the style of packing the deer hair and then trimming it. And then, but talk about how you're gluing. So you're, instead of putting the material, the, uh, the wings and stuff in the, th you're actually gluing them on. Yeah. Um, for my fishing flies, I don't, I don't glue them on cause I want them to be more sturdy. Uh, but I usually don't put wings on a hair bug. Oh, right. Um, but with my art stuff, I want it to be absolutely flawless and, um, and, and super realistic. And it's, it's way like my hummingbirds. It's easier just to, trim out a couple feathers the way I want them. And then just stick them in the sides with some super glue and they'll stay forever. Mm. Yeah. Like I tied a Wendigo, um, which is like a native American lore, <laughs> creepy cryptid or something. I tied one for Halloween a few years back for a fly tying contest. And, uh, <laughs> I actually got banned from the fly tying contest. I'm a, I was a judge that year. Oh, Roy. <laughs> people were <laughs> what now. Why'd you get banned? Well, I mean, I, I understand like the professional fly tire joining an amateur fly tying contest isn't very classy. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I did it in exhibition. I did it on purpose for fun, but, uh, there was people being grumpy about it. So I pulled it off, but so I took black bucktail for the antlers. This is like a deer skull with antlers. And, uh, I actually burnt my fingers doing this, but I actually took black bucktail and I coated it in solar res and just twisted it up and crinkled it. Then I had my, my solar res resonator light in my mouth. And then I would hold it up at the deer hair to get it to harden. And then I just kept adding antlers onto it. it it's one of the kids' favorite flies when I remember it shows until I did a baby Yoda. Oh. A baby Yoda. Like every little kid gets a picture with baby Yoda. Bob oh, Clouser's really? got a picture with baby Yoda. So you have a baby Yoda that's uh, that's tied the same thing using the same kind of technique. Yeah, I just you know the hardest parts is ears. I just tie a big round melon head, give him some eyes and shape it out, and then I stick the ears in the side, and then the body's uh, just a, a a square body that I I sort of trim into a cylinder. Then I take dragon tails and I actually make the cuffs of his clothes, so I don't have to like try to get any technical stuff i had to learn how to tie that fly really fast because the first time it took me six hours and everybody keeps trying to buy them from me huh and so i like make them outrageous price so i don't have to do it again 
Wow. But I put like a $200 price tag on it and people are still trying to buy it from me. And so I'm like, crap, I got to learn how to tie this in two to four hours. No kidding. So you're, and I see it now I'm on Instagram on uh, sgt.bassfisher on Instagram. People can take a look on, uh, yeah, you did this a while back. That's so cool. Yeah, man. It's like, so that's all, that's all deer hair, the whole, the whole body, everything on that thing. Yeah. Besides the, the resin, the dragon tail and the, the eye and the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. What are the eyes? Yeah, it's some sort of a little bead or something. It's a, like a rhinestone. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's a rhinestone. So I can just put them right in there and then I could put a bead of solar res on it and give them that round appearance. Oh, and right. if I want, if I want, I can uh, take like some colored resin and put it right on that little circle that where the hole is in the rhinestone and it'll hold there. And then I can give it a, you know, hit that and then throw some clear over it and give it a pupil with like three dimension pupil. Wow. I'm a nerd. <laughs> so the Yoda is one of your biggest, is that one of your most popular ones? Um, I think the most likes I ever got was, uh, my Kingfisher. It got like 2000 likes or something. Oh, wow. 2,500. I don't know. It was crazy when I posted that. Um, uh, you know who Dwayne Hada is? Uh, no. Uh-uh. He's a, he's a really cool artist down in Arkansas. And I, I was going to tie him a kingfisher for his wife it's her favorite bird and then uh and then dave whitlock wanted a cardinal or emily whitlock wanted the cardinal and i had to tie her one and then tony spezio wanted a, a kingfisher and i didn't have enough time to do all that and i tied a, a hummingbird for the governor of arkansas hmm. and then tied an arkansas razorback for the owners of wapsy so i didn't have time so i ended up uh Dwayne was going to trade me one of his art prints of a smallmouth bass but i was like when i ran out of time i was like dude you have to take the original i don't have time so this is the very first and i keep all my originals all the you know the very first ones i ever do and uh i ended up giving him the original kingfisher and so the print i wanted was a smallmouth bass and he actually gave me the original to it it was really cool (laughs) nice and you've done a bunch of you know different things here i'm just looking through your feed this is cool yeah and so what do you, you know, I mean, you're going to be getting back in the deer hair tying, you know, soon. And, uh, you know, as, as you're looking out, is that the thing you're most excited about? I mean, we haven't even talked about fishing yet, but that's, you know, I'm sure another part of it. But is, is the, you know, is the tying the deer hair stuff your favorite or do you, or do you love the fishing of those flies? I love fishing them. I, I love tying them. And I, I just, I got frustrated with tying because like it just, like, I don't like, I don't know how to say it without saying arrogant, but it got yeah. boring to me because it was, it was getting too easy. Mm. And, uh, and you know how ADHD is when you, when something just gets monotonous, it's, it, I can't even do it. And, uh, but I was doing it. I, I mean, plus I was tying, I've tied like 15,000 flights that year, wow. um, for my, my online shop. It was crazy, but, uh, I got bored of it. And so I just wasn't doing as well with it. And then, I got in the trout flies. I'm like a closet trout guy. It's funny. It's the funniest mm. joke. <laughs> uh, there's a guy in Missouri that was looking at my deer hair stuff. And he told me I was a waste of talent <laughs> because I do bass flies. And uh, he was serious too, you know? Right. That's and, hilarious. Uh, like, yeah, like Joe Humphreys makes fun of me for being Sergeant Bass Fisher. He, my birthday cake, he put Sergeant Trout Fisher and told me that when I'm a man, I can be Sergeant Trout Fisher. Oh, man. That's great. And then I told Joe that uh, deer hair bugs are the same as trout flies. 
dry flies except for men. I thought he was going to kick me in the face. Nice. But, you know, um, that's fun little banter, but this dude was being mean. Wow. And uh, he didn't know that uh, I tie trout flies. I'm a closet trout fly guy. So I was like, well, we got rising over. I was like, we can, let me tie you a pill morning done or call like call hill. And uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, but they're, they're size 18. He's like, I don't even imagine you have those hooks. And I did. I always have a little trout box with me if I get frustrated oh, nice. with time. And uh, I watched a ton of Tim Camisa's videos. And one of my best friends, Lee Barbie's a trout guy and has coached me through a lot of it. And so I just knocked out this perfect little, well-proportioned little 18 pill morning done. Wow. Was... Then I gave it to him. Then I went back to tying six out hair bugs. <laughs> Yeah, so you that is pretty impressive because yeah, some people might see. I mean, obviously the hair stuff is tough. What you're doing is so unique. But I mean, tying tiny dry flies, I mean, for me as well, for a lot of people is very is not easy to do. And but you feel like do you feel like you're as uh competent at those as you are tying the bass stuff, the hair bugs? I don't know the names of the insects, but uh I know the the pattern names and when someone I can look it up and I'm not so I'm not as well versed because I don't have them. Uh, we have some like gray drakes here in Indiana that come out of lakes and midges and stuff, but that's about it. Oh, that's about it. Right. So I'm learning pretty rapidly. Um, guys like John Collins out in, on the East coast, he's posting flies all the time. I'm looking at like the actual little critters. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I tie a lot of sulfurs. Mm-hmm. So I'm still learning all that stuff. Cause I didn't catch a trout until like three years or four years ago. Oh wow, yeah, because you're yeah you're in Indiana. There's not a heck of a lot of trout fishing. What what's the nearest? Uh, what where are you heading if you want to like go to trout fishing nearby? Uh, well, we got stockies in Indianapolis. Oh okay, and then uh, we in a little creek in Indy, and then we have Brookville Tailwater, which I think everybody loves it, but I think it's garbage. Huh. It's like I said that in the other podcast I did, and uh, I got a lot of flack here in Indy for saying that, but oh really. It's, it's so overfished and I feel bad for the fish because that's the only decent like tailwater we have for four hours. Mm. And so yeah, that's it. You know, those, those guys are just, those little fish are just beat the crap out of. And yeah, you know, someone will catch a nice 20 inch Brown and I'm like, man, it looks like it's punk rocker with all those trolls in its face, <laughs> you know, man. Right. So, yeah. So, so, but the bass fishing, like smallmouth bass fishing, that's, that's pretty uh, decent around your area oh yeah we have great smallmouth bass fishing here in indiana and then a largemouth too I, i'm kind of spoiled because i get to fish some private property uh for largemouth so you know we've caught six seven eight pound largemouth out of there i think my biggest one was 9.3 pounds Jeez. and it was on like a, an 11 inch game changer it was really fun i was in a float tube a cumberland float tube and usually bass will fight for 40 seconds and then it's like i give up this yeah. thing pulled me around for a minute and I was like, I thought I had a carp. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that's great in Indiana's carp fishing. Oh yeah. You got lots of carp, good carp fishing. Yeah. That's everywhere. And then oh. we have like, those crummy Asian carp are here now. Oh, right. So me yeah. and my buddy, my redneck buddies were out there. If it's too hot to fish for anything ethically, uh, you know, if it's too hot, a smallmouth will die when you catch it. Oh, right. Unless you're overweight in your rod. And I'm, I'm really concerned with, you know, the welfare of the fish that I catch. I don't want to be trying to chase 20 inch smallmouth with a four weight, you know? 
Yeah. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather use an eight weight that's a little large for that species and, and get it in fast and get it released in good condition. You know, Yeah. Uh, I love the fight, but I don't, I don't want to fight him to death because I'll no. always win. You know, we're anglers. We'll always win. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I feel better about myself and my fishing when I'm overweight my rod a little bit. Yeah, oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not very, most people are thinking I'm goofy when I'm out fly fishing for bluegill with a, a seven weight. Right, right. But, Do you guys have, is, I mean, is Indianapolis in, I mean, carp, you have stuff right right in, in the city around. I know we did an episode with, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago on Arizona, kind of urban carp fishing. And it was pretty cool hearing like, you know, they're fishing like right off these, these uh, waterways and stuff. What's it like there? Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, I live like 30 minutes South of Indy, but we have really good fishing downtown. Um, there's a canal and I, you, you used to be able to fish there, but I know there's carp, smallmouth in it. I know we have spotted bass as well. Great bluegill population. Uh, those long ear, sunfish are super fun to catch on light tackle you know they're super bright orange here with a, a lot with a really awesome turquoise outlines but uh fall creek runs around indianapolis and that's a really good smallmouth creek and it, it's it's surprisingly clean uh indianapolis a few years ago implemented a system underneath the city that catches all the rainwater and then it's all processed before it goes back into the river. Oh, wow. So it's awesome. really, really improved the water clarity and the, all the garbage that was in it. And it's just really made it a lot nicer, especially me being South of India. I can really tell the difference. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Meal Bars, made by a small team of passionate outdoor enthusiasts. The Range team only uses the highest quality gluten-free ingredients and they know they want to fuel your body with the right stuff. We did a recent episode where we talked about backpacking and packing your pack and getting ready for a, might be a hike into a high mountain lake. And we talked about the power of food and getting the right food in your pack and how important that is to shaving off a weight. And this bar packs a punch with 700 calories. This is a super dense bar, tastes good. And, uh, and it's exactly what uh, we were talking about in that episode. It's, so you can pretty much throw one bar in there if you had to. To be honest, this thing would probably make you through a couple of meals. I eat these things whenever I need to, and usually one chunk of this, one bite, will keep me going for quite a while. So it's quite a bit different now that I've been snacking on these for a while, definitely than pretty much all the other meal bars because of the caloric intake. And this is important when you're out there for safety or on the water. Or just staying uh, from from that, keeping that uh, stomach from growling. Like I said, range bar is small enough to fit in your hand and slides easily to, into your pocket of your vest or sling pack. Anything you need. They currently have two flavors. Uh, one is chocolate coffee, and the other is molasses ginger sea salt. You can check out range right now at wetflyswing.com/range. R A N G E. Range meal bars. You won't go back to the normal bar. Okay, back to the show. Well couple more things I wanted to touch on here, um, and we, we talked, I guess, uh, at the start off air, but um, you've, got a, you've got a group of uh, younger people, uh, some kids that are in your kind of your uh, audience. Uh, talk about that, some of the stuff you do or that you've done in the past and maybe that you're going to be doing here um, on, what is it, you do some educational stuff? Uh, well, we, I just, I'm, a, I'm the CEO of a 501c3 nonprofit that hasn't ever got to do anything because uh, we're called... Uh, screen time to stream time. And um, I went to visit my wife at work one day. She works downtown. And, and there was uh, these two little minority girls sitting there playing in the dirt. 
between the crack of the sidewalk and they were trying to plant a dandelion that they had cut. So I squat down and started chatting with them and they were talking about nature and stuff, but that crack in the sidewalk with the dirt in it was their nature. Wow. You know, when I told them how to dry out the dandelion and pull the seeds out and plant them in that crack, which probably irritated the people that lived there. Um, I, I walked off and, um, I was sitting there thinking I had to walk like six blocks and I was like, man, these, these little kids that live in these inner cities are completely robbed of nature. I'm a redneck. I grew up running the woods and, you know, hitting yep. up farm ponds. Oh yeah. And, uh, it was a different time then if I would knock on someone's door to go fishing at their pond, they'd be like, yeah. And then at noon they would make me come in and eat a sandwich. You know, it was a different time then. <laughs> yeah. And so one of my best friends, Omron works at a, an IU property called Bradford woods. And, and, uh, they have all the schools down here go to their their property to fish and learn about the outdoors but i wanted to like those kids have to pay you know they have to pay a fee to go there with the school and all that stuff and i wanted to make something where i can just get kids that you know need to be outdoors and i think all kids need to be outdoors but kids that are troubled uh can we'll take them to a camp and we'll pay for it and we'll get them outfitted with some fly fishing gear and and uh not just the fly fishing, but all aspects of the outdoors, uh, obviously focusing on fly fishing and fly tying. But I, I just feel like these inner city kids are being completely robbed. And, you know, some of them go down the wrong path. And I'm like, man, yeah. if I gave them a hobby like fly fishing and fly tying, they won't have the money to go down the wrong path. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, most of my sponsors know about it. And uh -huh. um, it's been slow because we got our, our 501c3. I think a month before COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, actually went down. And so we've been waiting for it to really just simmer down so we can launch. And I think we're going to launch our first camp in the spring is our plan. And I think it's going to actually be in Ohio uh, until we can, you know, raise the funds and get our own little piece of property with a pond so we can get kids out there pan fishing. Gotcha. So that's it. So basically the focus would be going into some of the, yeah, some of the inner city places where kids are just struggling and, and take them out and get them connected to nature basically. Yeah. And it wouldn't just be inner city. Uh, that was my main focus. And, um, but we would go to most school districts and, and try to find groups of kids. They would want to go out we would pay for all of it. Um, once I can start fundraising, it's going to be easy because us fly fishers were kind. I give the, as many nonprofits as I can, we just are kind. It's a kind group of people. They're very giving. So I'm not even worried about funding. And the, as soon as we're ready, that'll happen. Yeah. You have lots of support for that, for sure. I mean, all those groups, I can't even think of, I know there's lots of them out there that are doing stuff with kids and it's, uh, yeah, it's critical because some of those kids never even know, like you said, they, they've never even been out on a river, have no idea. So that's a, that's cool. Well, we'll keep in touch with you, you know, as we're, you know, moving ahead and definitely I want to circle back, uh, before we hop out of here, um, I want to touch on, I heard about the, the mushrooms, which is something I'm, I'm not a mushroom expert, but I love mushrooms. And, uh, and I know, I think you have some experience, right? You're a kind of a, what, what's the person called that's a mushroom hunter? I think you just call them mushroom hunters, but like a, yeah. <laughs> a mushroom scientist is a mycologist. Oh, mycologist. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not a mycologist. I'm a, uh, I have like 30 books on, yep. on it. My brother and I are sort of health nerds. And, uh, so we're always out looking for stuff in season. And right now we've got 
the Sigrifola fondosia, which is the hen of the woods, and then Pleuritus austriatus is uh, one of the types of oyster mushrooms. They're out plentifully right now. And then oh, yeah. um, Ganoderma lucidum is reishi. It's a really good, uh-huh. good health mushroom. And all these, all these mushrooms have, oh man, we done went down a rabbit hole. Oh yeah. <laughs> these mushrooms <laughs> are like super healthy. Uh, they've have, like, a lot of them have anti-cancer properties like long chain polysaccharides. Mm-hmm. And then like a Tremides versicolor is a, is a little woody mushroom that you would make a tea out of after you dried it. But it, um, and, and they're in every state, but they're like a, a blood cleaner. It's weird. Oh, like wow. a blood purifier. And I had a friend in Ohio that had a terminal kidney cancer and, uh, he hit me up and I met this dude in a veterans video game on our phone that we were just, and he was my enemy <laughs> and we were in a, a leadership meeting and I, it was funny. And it's a stupid phone game. And this dude hit me up when someone said something about mushrooms and I started being a nerd and he's like, Hey, and he told me his issue and he lives right there in Illinois. So I was like, yeah, I'll come talk to you. And me and my brother drove to Illinois and we coached him on mushrooms and eating like wild foods. And, uh, and that was like his last ditch effort. And, um, we don't, I don't know what happened, but, uh, he's still alive. This was like four years ago. He's doing a lot better. And I just taught him how to make tinctures. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mushrooms are, I mean, there's all sorts of powerful, even like you hear a lot about the, like the microdosing stuff out there, which is, yeah. I don't know much about that, but you hear about, you know, it's the power. It's, it's like, it's uh mushrooms are a medicine. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? There's not only is it a good food, but it's a medicine, right? Yeah, it is. Um, they're really tasty too. Uh, yeah. A lot of them are really, really tasty. Lion's mane is a, a nootropic. It actually helps mm-hmm. build brain cells that are, you know, they don't have those neural snap synapse anymore. Helps rebuild those. And, um, I know they sell pills of it, but it is, it has to be, extracted with alcohol and then hot water bath to get the medicine. And so drinking it as a tincture, you actually get the good stuff or cooking it in butter. You get those good stuff and the pills they sell, you're, you're not even getting 15% of it because they kill most of it. Uh, and it has to bind to a fat to get in your bloodstream. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of that crap's gimmick. It's better just to pick up a book, learn a little bit about them and then, and then hit the woods, get some exercise and look for them. Exactly. That's what's fun about it. Yeah. Getting out there. What would be your tip of, for people wanting to go out mushroom hunting, just a bit, you probably have a book or what would you tell somebody that wants to like really would love to get into it, but they're, they're, you know, they don't know enough about it. Look up uh trad Cotter, uh, from mushroom mountain. He's in uh, I think he's in North Carolina. Uh, he's got videos and a lot of good books. Um, and he actually grows them. That's where my brother went to one of his clinics. I think it was in Chattanooga hmm. and, uh, cause we grow our own mushrooms as well. Like oh, none wow. of those things. None of the psilocybes. I got to throw it out there. We don't grow the psilocybe. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. No, don't call you for the yeah, the, yeah, the, the hallucinogenic ones. <laughs> Every time I talk about mushrooms to people in public, they're like, oh, psilocybin. I'm like, no, no, we don't yeah. need another one. No, no, we but, don't need um, more of those, right? It's pretty easy. You can grow most mushrooms on just your yard clippings. <laughs> oh, wow. And coffee grounds and straw. Yeah. Um, uh, rye berry and if you can create a sterile environment to inoculate the stuff and clone the mushrooms, you can grow mushrooms yourself. And I do it in five gallon buckets with straw and they're really tasty and they got a lot of good vitamins and minerals. And obviously, you know, going out in the wild and getting them where they're growing off, you know, an oak yeah, uh, is way Oaks better. 
yeah. than, than growing them yourself. They still taste the same, but the mineral content and the, the vitamins yeah. are better from the wild. Sure. Get out there and hike and find them and burn some calories. It's good yeah. for you too. That's what's great. Uh, that's awesome. All right, cool. Well, we have a little uh, connection to somebody we could follow up with. Uh, you mentioned your brother a little bit. Let, let's take it out of here with that. I love the, you know, kind of, I've got a few brothers as well. It sounds like you guys are pretty tight. Is How's that uh, How's that been? Are you guys still in touch quite a bit? Uh, yeah, he lives upstairs at my house. Oh, wow. There you go. So, well, that makes it easy. So wait, we have an extra bedroom and, you know, with me going to shows all the time and traveling a lot to fish, uh, you know, he helps pay bills and he helps us with the kids and helps us with, uh, we grow a lot of our own food. We have like hydroponics unit and, uh, a greenhouse, a bunch of raised beds. I have, Oh wow. I grow my own quail, ducks, chickens, rabbits. Holy cow. So you got a, you've got a, it sounds like a farm out there. Sort of a mini farm. We only have 0.59 acres and we've sort of been doing pretty good with it. Um, uh, growing a lot amazing. of money, money and I try to explain to the kiddos cause you know, dispatching a bunny is terrible. Every single time it's terrible. But uh, I explained to the yeah. kids, I was like, look, we spoil our, our bunnies and our chickens. And uh, this is, it's just better than buying an animal yeah. at a, or buying meat at a store that you don't know where it came from. You don't know if it hung upside down for 45 minutes before, you know, uh, it got dispatched. So we yeah. baby them and, and it's just good. We, wow. Hopefully, uh, we can expand where we can have a couple cows down the road and no kidding. Oh, expand. Yeah. Like get that. a little more property and get some cows. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. So you've, I mean, what have, what's the secret tip there on, you know, 0.598 acres and having all that going on? Is there, there must be some good, uh, again, is that a YouTube thing? Hop out there and follow somebody who's kind of doing, uh, seems challenging. I don't know. We just, we wing it. And uh, yeah. I have like, uh, are, are your properties, unique i guess it's sort of rounded but uh you know we got a bunch of fruit trees at the bottom of the hill sort of just about like a hedge grow and then we have a grapevine trellis on the back of the property and then we have a pit that we put we dug a pit for the kids trampoline hmm. and then we have i think i have 900 square feet chicken coop and duck pen uh-huh and then uh our duck pond you know, ducks are super gross and they're constantly, Oh yeah. Their water, you, you need something. And so we built an aquaponics unit. It's not completely done yet, but, uh, we're actually using aquaponics to clean the duck pond out. And then, um, and then in the tanks underneath the aquaponics unit, we're going to be growing tiger prawns <laughs> so that every oh, year wow. in the fall, we can just have a big party and give everybody like some giant mushrooms. And we, we try to hang up. We got a really good Titan, group of friends here in southern mm-hmm. indiana and uh, mm. we hang out and fish a lot and just have random parties where we just sit around the campfire and let the kids be wild oh it sounds great yeah you got the campfire of course you got a campfire there as well oh yeah and then uh the hardest part is uh in the winter you know we gotta oh, we gotta right. keep our bunnies and our our quail warm and uh, we just started the whole quail thing hmm. uh i couldn't find any good soft hackles that were really tiny yeah. So, you know, I got to go on this really cool, uh, trip to Texas and the, the owner gave us like bacon wrapped quill and I was like, that's so delicious. And so, um, I started growing my own like Japanese quail and I got like seven or eight different colors. And so I haven't started calling them yet, but cause I'm sort of just expanding my little flock. But, uh, once I, uh, get it 
expanded and we start cooling them off where I'm going to start giving away the, uh, those little hackle soft tackles because they're, they're skins. Cause I don't ever want to get into selling material. It is a pain, yeah, right? But I can give them away all day long. Yeah. It was yeah. what I do with my chickens. Uh, I accidentally got some Cree last year. <laughs> I can't figure out how I did it, but, uh, I had like four Cree. Yeah. And then it's not whiting quality. It's, it's pretty much just game changer quality. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But I, right. I had all these Cree roosters just running around. It was insane. Yeah. So, so what is your, this is really cool that you're painting this picture. So what is your, you know, your day, kind of your daily look? I know it's kind of been crazy for you with everything you have been going, but are you, it sounds pretty cool. I mean, you're obviously recovering from everything, but it, it sounds like you got a really cool place just to kind of kick back and be in nature. Yeah. It's, it's pretty chaotic Is it here. We are living in a little sub, not a subdivision. We're out in the middle of nowhere, but, um, there's a huge, there's a big mansion on the hill behind me. That's a, like a Christian ministry, uh-huh. uh, like retreat. And then all my neighbors are older couples and they, they just love us. Uh, I'm constantly yeah. giving them eggs. I'm getting like four dozen eggs a day. So we're constantly giving them all eggs <laughs> and then whatever excess, you know, vegetables we have, we give them. And, uh, they just love our kids Our like old neighbors. will be like, Hey, we just made some cake. Can the kids come over and have some cake and play badminton? I'm like, absolutely. Get them out of my house. I need silence. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, it, it's really great. When we do move, it's going to be, it's going to be heartbreaking. One of our neighbors like told us if we move, let us know and they'll buy property adjacent to us so we can get a bigger property. There you go. There so, you go. This is so cool. Well, you're making a, you've definitely made a, a you know, a dent. It sounds like you're making a dent on the world in your neighborhood as well. Um, it's going to be fun. You know, Joe, definitely keeping up with you. I want to keep following you here and, and see what you have going. Maybe we'll, you know, we can get you on later on next year or so and kind of do a, a kind of review kind of thing, see how things are going. Does that sound good? Do you want to come back on and give us an update here in a year or something like that? Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like I got so much more maturing to do because uh, I'm still brand new and uh, I've seven years I've been doing this uh, since I started with Project Healing Waters and uh, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I got tons of books I need to sit down and read. Yep. And um, all my little projects I got going on, hopefully they keep expanding and I'm doing good and um, just teaching people. I love teaching. I was a sergeant for a long time and that's my main job is to teach people and keep them alive. But yep. I just want to teach people and get them on the water now. There you go. All right. Well, we'll, we'll uh, everybody listening here, like we said before, uh, Sergeant Bass Fisher, that's SGT dots. Uh, Bass Fisher on Instagram, and uh, we'll send everybody out there. And yeah, Joe, I just uh, you know thanks. I want to say thanks for coming on here and telling your story. I know we we dug into a few topics. You got a lot going, but it's really good to hear. You know, you're you're getting healthy, and and I'll definitely uh, check back with you at a later point, and we'll we'll talk a little more. Maybe we'll dig more into the deer here and see how the farm's going. Absolutely. All right, Joe. Well, thanks again. We'll we'll keep up with you and talk to you soon. Thank you. Tight lines, man. So there it is. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash 384. 384 is going to get you, uh, like always, show notes, links, bunch of bonuses. I'm sure there's going to be a video and you can check out some of these bird flies. See what Joe's been tying over the years and what really put him on the map. Quick listener shout out before we get out of here. Ben Mackerel, longtime listener of the podcast. He noted that uh, he sent an email and he said he particularly liked the recent episode with David Lamb Broughton and Brian O'Keefe. 
He says he uh, he loves the podcast because of the great information, the tips, and provides the emphasis on the DIY tips, especially. Uh, love it, love it, Ben. Thanks for checking in. I love that you are interested in the DIY. That the uh, the two episodes you noted for sure um, were big ones: uh, New Zealand and, of course, Brian O'Keefe traveling around uh, all over the place. So appreciate you for your support. If you want to connect with me, you can send an email: Dave at wetflyswing.com uh, right now, and you can join. Uh, the group there and get connected and I can reach out to you with a quick email and uh, and answer your questions or provide some information for an upcoming episode. This is definitely a crazy episode and a really amazing story about Joe and what he's done here and I want to make sure you, if you get a chance, reach out to Joe and let him know uh, where you heard about him if this is new or maybe you already knew Joe and the story. Um, it's a great one and I look forward to uh, Uh, Staying in touch with Joe, like we said, I want to hear, check back in a year or less and see how everything's going and maybe what we can do to continue to help him. So so we are at 384 is now behind us. Uh, We are going to be doing even more episodes uh, as we move forward here. So keep up with us if if you have any ideas or thoughts. Uh, Like I said at the start, we've got this cool season upcoming uh, with Phil Roy. This is going to be a mini series we're going to be testing out where... Phil is going to come on and actually do some interviews. He's going to do some of his own content he's going to bring on here. And it's just going to be our way to uh, basically provide more value. I mean, bringing you the best people uh, each week is what we've always prided ourselves on. And and now I think we've got another opportunity to actually uh, dig deeper uh, into uh, some of the people behind these episodes. So let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. We're going to launch this out. I think early next year, if we get a chance, we might sneak one in over the holiday season. Um, I'm not even sure I'm talking to my future self now. I'm going to take a look really quick and see tentatively when we have this schedule to come out is... Actually, this is coming out pretty quick. So this is going to be coming out just during the holiday season. And the holiday season is kicking off here. So we got Thanksgiving around the corner. And then we've got, uh, I mean, pretty much after Thanksgiving, it's all like holiday madness, I think, especially if you have kids. But uh, but yeah, I'd like to hear from you again. Dave at wetflyswing.com. Hope you are having a good day. And I would love to connect with you on an upcoming trip uh, on the water somewhere if we get a chance. And uh, definitely appreciate uh, the support over the years. All right. Hope you are having a good afternoon, a good evening, or good morning, wherever you are in the world. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.